The Athletic. City looked to be an absolute force. There are signs that Mo Salah's coming back to the kind of form that makes him the best player in the world when he is on form. I think Villa are sleepwalking into a relegation battle at the moment if they continue with, with Steven Gerrard the way things are. Christian Eriksen will be Manchester United's player of the season this season. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick and Bet365's very own Steve Free. We're here to look ahead to Manchester City's visit to Anfield on Sunday and debate the mounting pressure on Aston Villa boss Steven Gerrard ahead of Chelsea's visit to Villa Park. Plus, Manchester United welcome Newcastle to Old Trafford with both looking to break into the top four. So Mohamed Salah was off the bench to score a hat-trick within 6 minutes and 12 seconds, which begs the question to open the show. George, who is the best super sub of all time? Um, well, Mo Salah, I don't you can categorise him as a super sub, but you know, having uh, when you're Rangers and you're facing up to a, a heavy defeat, having taken the lead, and you've got one of the best players in the world who's, who's not in the best, uh, Nick, coming on to change the game and scoring the, the goals of the, of the quality that he scored uh, in six minutes, um, probably has to put him up there. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is probably the one that we will think about when you're when you're talking about a super sub. But Steve's shaking his head, so I want to know. Who Steve his, will uh, pull someone from the seventies, won't he? Uh, a super sub that I've <laughs> never heard of. Go on then, Steve. Do have have back then. Yeah, Liverpool. Yeah, one sub. Yeah, David Fairclough was was nicknamed oh, yeah, super sub back in the day when he's got God knows how many goals coming off the bench. But they always seemed to score late on whenever it was like Star Soccer or Match of the Day or or, or whatever, or the big match live or whatever. I, I don't even think it was live back then. But uh, yeah, with his hair and everything like that coming on with number 12 on his back, David Fairclough always used to score whenever he come on. He didn't obviously score in every game, but I've just read he scored 35 goals after 60 minutes. So he was a, he was, he was a fair goal scorer. Yeah, good, good shout. Oli got a soul shot for me. Is the ultimate super sub. I'll give a quick nod to Marlon Harewood, who was a good sub for a season. Well read by Edison, but not oh. well cleared. Oh, Surely it. not. It is. It's a fabulous fourth from the technique from Mo Salah, who gets in on the act. Edison curses the error. We're going to start Anfield and fresh from thrashing Rangers 7-1 in Europe. Liverpool look to get their Premier League season back on track. Liverpool against Manchester City is the Sunday 4.30 kickoff. And Steve, I guess nobody saw this coming, that Liverpool would be so far away from Manchester City already at this stage of the season. Quite incredible, really. No, I, I certainly didn't. The bookmakers didn't expect it, I suppose. How much do we put on the result against Rangers in midweek? Probably not, but it's great to see, you know, Salah with with a bit of confidence. I mean, from a, an odds odds point of view, I don't ever recall Manchester City being odds on to win at Anfield in the Premier League. So that's kind of where we're at with with Liverpool at the moment. And the fact that Manchester City haven't done the double over Liverpool since 1936-37 when I was a lad. In, in in the top flight, so that just goes to show it's been a it's been a long old time. But fifth favourites to finish in the top four as well. Bournemouth and Fulham above them in the league as well. Yet to yet to win away from home 
just seen Jurgen Klopp being so agitated about so many different things. It clear, it's clearly got to him a little bit, as you would. He's been there for a number of years and, and produced a, a fantastic side to watch, but maybe it's getting to him. And, and that's understandable, isn't it? It's going to get to him when he, when he lives and breathes it on, the, on, on that touchline and a number of injuries as well. So the bookmakers think that uh, they're in for a real tough game, obviously, um, at the weekend. Yeah, and if Jurgen Klopp wasn't twitchy before, he'd probably been a little bit twitchy that Haaland was sat on the bench for 90 minutes in the Champions League in midweek. I think this must be the first show, actually, where Haaland isn't in any of the bullet points, really, but I've I've shoehorned him <laughs> in there. Manchester City are unbeaten after nine games, George. Do you think Manchester City can feasibly go unbeaten the whole season? They they do look a serious... I mean, they've always been a serious outfit under Pep, except for his first season, but they really look the real deal this season. Yeah, they do. I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't be betting against them uh, going unbeaten. I don't think the quality of the rest of the Premier League is particularly good this season. You know, Arsenal are clearly uh, the best of the rest as it stands. And Chelsea do under Graham Potter look like they are definitely trending in the right direction. But City seem to have taken a step forward, whilst maybe the rest of the league, apart from Arsenal, have taken a step back. The key thing for me is the rotation that they're now able to to bring into their defensive unit as well, where we're seeing um, whether it's Diaz, Stones, Akanji, Ake, all playing pretty central roles and being able to rotate your defence without losing any of that solidity across all the competitions they're going to be playing in this season also gives them a massive strength. You know, you do wonder if maybe when the Champions League comes down to the, the latter stages and we know how important winning the Champions League is to all the City players, to Pep and to the owners as well, whether there's a chance they, they take their eye off the ball. Um, but I certainly think they are the, you know, the, the best team in the division by a long stretch. Uh, and on you know in this game on Sunday, uh, it's mad to think that if Liverpool hadn't beaten Bournemouth 9-0, um, they'd be sitting uh, on a negative goal difference so far this season. Um, and you also look at how they're conceding goals uh, first in, in pretty much every game, including the 7-1 defeat against Rangers with Scott Arfield scoring a brilliant goal to put them 1-0 up, which gave the Rangers fans at least a minute of, of mayhem and pandemonium and joy before the rest uh, came about. If that happens against Man City, unlike Arsenal, who, because of the way they play and because they're so brave on the ball, will offer you a way back into the game, as we saw. And I thought that 3-2 result flattered Liverpool, if I'm honest, on, on Sunday. Manchester City do not offer that. They are a team where if you go behind against them, it's very, very hard to get back into the game because they do control it so, so easily. So yeah, I, I think City look to be an absolute force. But you know, again, recency bias is a big thing in football and it's easy just to look at a small sample of games so far this season and think that City are miles clear and forget Liverpool's obvious qualities as well. And the fact that these two, you know, City for a reason don't have a great record at Anfield. George mentions that poor record that Manchester City have at Anfield in the Premier League. Only won once, which was 4-1 in February 2021, in 19 visits since May 2003. They've drawn six and lost 12, so not the best of records for Manchester City. But flying this season, Steve, 93 points last season. Realistically, can they better that this time round with Haaland in the team? Or are they now looking at trying to break the goal-scoring record, which stands at 106 goals? Oh. Possibly looking to do both. I think they can. The bookmakers seem to think so, Dan. It's two to one that they score 107 or more. They've got 33 now after nine games. When they broke that record, they'd scored 32. So that they seem to be well on track for that. And as regards to the points, they're five to two to get 101 points or more. So they've got 23 now. And I think they had 25 points when they broke when they had 100 points. So they're just a little bit behind that. Clearly, with Haaland in the side, they're going to be able to be able to kick on. And incidentally, talking about when I mentioned earlier about City last doing the double over them in 36-37, that was the first time they won the title in the top flight back then. And they scored five against Liverpool in both games. So 
with Haaland in the side, who knows? It's always a fascinating clash between these two, always high tempo by the nature of the way the two teams play. And ahead of the game, the Athletic Football Tactics podcast have been looking ahead to the battle between Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. Liverpool's defence just looks so porous at the moment. And City is so good at getting runners in behind the defence that I would worry about that. And it's not just the obvious players. It's not just Haaland. I thought Bernardo Silva against Manchester United was constantly making runs into that left-hand channel. Obviously, we know De Bruyne loves doing the same on the right. So, uh, yeah, that that's the, the, the area I would worry about. I know there's been a lot of focus on Alexander-Arnold, but I almost think that sometimes there's too much focus on him when clearly the other defenders aren't playing particularly well. I mean, Van Dijk is not at his best. You know, the left-back situation, I don't think Simicast is a great player defensively. So I just think there's a lot of gaps there. And yeah, a lot of space for various City players to exploit. And potentially, Mark, those individual defenders copping a bit of extra flack where they might point at the midfield protection. They might point at the spaces that they are having to defend because of, of the system uh, that's being played and the, the personnel in front of them as well. You mentioned Thiago and Henderson in, in the midfield pivot. Brilliant players, magnificent careers, but not midfield players that you associate with eating up ground, covering spaces and, and, you know, and, and just providing really solid screen in front of a back four. Yeah, I think it's across vast spaces that is the key because Henderson plugs in the, especially Henderson plugs in the gap on that right-hand side or had done for, for Trent Alexander-Arnold, but not necessarily being asked to, especially with his age now, cover as much ground. So it's more with the, I think the, the amount of space more so than being able to plug the gap. And Liverpool, I think, have had issues with a kind of a domino effect of mistakes being made or just being a yard off and then the other person, the other defender or midfielder, whoever it is, starting right from the attack, really, in terms of the press then has to fill in that gap and then they get dragged across. And you, you saw it for the, the second Arsenal goal just at the end of, of the first half where Trent and Henderson both got dragged by Martinelli and they were just trying to, it was very reactive. It didn't seem as, as proactive. And I think that's what Liverpool have to defend a little bit more smarter, really. And I think that maybe the whole Trent Alexander-Arnold thing, as well as just taking him out of the spotlight, but because he's injured, maybe Joe Gomez being at right back, having a bit more kind of a defensive mindset, essentially having three centre-backs in your back line might actually be a good thing against a Manchester City side who, as Michael said, do create overloads in, in half spaces and in specific areas to try and target you think well if you've at least got a yeah a player who can play right back but is also predominantly a centre back might actually work in Liverpool's favour and a beautiful rampaging run forward to set up uh, Bobby Firmino in the Rangers game as well so he's obviously got a, something of a taste for that at the moment something to look out for George on Liverpool I mean I sit here thinking surely this Liverpool side will be good enough to get in the top four but actually you can say that about a few sides in the in the Premier League this season. I can't see Arsenal and Spurs and Man City obviously not being in that top four at the moment. Manchester United are going relatively well as well. Do you think they'll be worried about potential Champions League qualification and, and not getting into that top four? Yes, I'm sure they'll be worried about it. And I think the way that Jurgen Klopp celebrated all seven goals on Wednesday night um, as if they were the, the opening goal shows the kind of pressure that he's placing on himself. Having said that, I you know, Normally in the Premier League, when you've got teams who are one of the big six who aren't performing particularly well, and you know, I don't think we can point our finger at the manager. We know the quality that Jurgen Klopp has. There have clearly been injury issues with with the majority of the squad as well. Bad runs are normally just that, and, and I'm sure that Liverpool will improve from where they are at the moment. This will probably be their lowest ebb right now, and the season is still very much in its infancy. You know, there is loads of time left this season to turn things around, and the points gap between them. And even Tottenham up in third is is still pretty small once a, a run of a run of wins comes. So 
with my betting hat on, I would probably say now is the time to back Liverpool to finish in the top four because there's probably a, a, an overreaction to what is going on at the moment. And it seems impossible to me, especially when the when the injuries sort themselves out, especially given that there are signs that Mo Salah's coming back to the kind of form that makes him the best player in the world when he is on form. And then including players like Harvey Elliott and, and Fabio Carvalho who are improving week on week. It's almost that case where you want to you want to buy Liverpool stock when it's at its lowest, and and that looks to me to be to be at the moment. And Steve, only two clean sheets all season for Liverpool. They've conceded two or more goals in five of the last seven Premier League meetings with Manchester City. But on the plus for Liverpool, George mentions all their injuries, but someone who was a big part of the back end of last season, Ibrahima Kanate, he's back in now. The way Liverpool set up and the way they defend, he's obviously ideal for that setup. So him coming back will probably make a difference. Yeah, quality player, you would think so. I think there were signs at the end of last season, Dan, where Liverpool obviously were going for the title and they were conceding goals um, against Wolves, against your mob, against Southampton as well. And they've carried on this season. I think clearly at 8-11, they've got a massive chance of finishing in the top four. And from a Champions League point of view, let's remember they are fourth favourites to win the Champions League. Not 25-1, to one, not 33-1, to 8-1 to one they are to win it. A point bigger than PSG they want to 50 to qualify for the knockout stages so you know I mean it's a good talking point but I, I, I think they'll be just fine yeah, Liverpool to be fair got a very special relationship with the Champions League I'd always back them in Champions League knockout ties especially when they take teams to Anfield just to finish George then Jurgen Klopp maybe could have been accused a few weeks ago of stubbornness like sticking to the same thing when it wasn't working but we've seen him midweek and in recent games he's at least switched the system up a bit which shows that he's he's not so rigid as perhaps people made out and he, you know he is trying to sort this out yeah for sure i mean he couldn't just keep doing the same thing i mean i, I do wonder if kind of this new playing four of the three you know, rather than three up front isn't necessarily particularly doesn't really fit the way that they play i wouldn't really say um you know i don't think any of them as a i mean Firmino can play as a as a 10 of course and we saw that ridiculous assist for the Nunes goal on Wednesday night as well which shows just how clever a player he is in those kind of tight spaces in the final third but I think it's more a case of, of necessity I think because of the fitness issues with, with Fabinho and, and Thiago uh, Milner's poor form generally means that they just don't really have the personnel at the moment to play a midfield three I think once and this feasibly could be on Sunday you know if Thiago Fabinho and Harvey Elliott are all fully fit I expect they'll go back to a 4-3-3 and, and, and go back to it being Salah on the right. And then with Diaz out as well, there'll be two of Firmino, Jota and um, and Nunes who play. Um, probably Nunes through the middle and then and then uh, one of the other two on the left. So, I mean, it'll probably be Jota on a thought. Um, but Firmino's form is brilliant. You know, he's he's had such a great start to the season. A lot of people writing him off uh, in the summer as being the, the fifth choice and the one that was going to fall out. But his, both his goal scoring and his creative work have been so impressive. Are either of you predicting anything but a Manchester City win here? No, I think I think they'll win. Um, whether they should be odds on, I- I'm not entirely sure. But I, I do think that p- possibly after Sunday is um, is maybe time to to see what to expect an improvement and, and to see Liverpool rise back up to where towards where they should be. Steve, a tight game, but uh, but City to come through. Goes and wants one himself and has got one, oh. and that tops it off. That's a fantastic strike from a fabulous young footballer, Phil Foden of Manchester City, makes it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Next up for us, it's time to talk about my least favourite subject at the moment. It's Aston Villa Football Club against Chelsea, which is the Sunday two o'clock offering. Two wins in nine this season for Villa, Steve. Ended last season winless in four. Stephen Gerrard's under serious pressure, isn't he? Yeah, you can really feel it in the Midlands, Dan, as well. Can't you? I mean, there's no one better place to talk about Aston Villa than, than you. Are, are you getting the bedsheets out as well? I mean, what are you? I mean, four, you're four unbeaten. I'm getting them out because I'm falling asleep in the game, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the reason. I, I, is, it, I get that. Is, it, is it is it that bad? But my, as you know, you know, you've met my my best mate as well. He, he just thinks it's very similar to Steve Bruce in the way that he approaches games. Yeah, is that, is that unfair? No, I think there's there's things that you could level at Stephen Gerrard that were levelled at Steve Bruce at Villa in the Championship. It's not good at the moment. You say Villa are unbeaten in four, but it's three draws and the last two draws really. They've got to be wins. Leeds away against ten men, and Forest away, who were who were pretty turgid. And in fact, that that felt like a championship game. Forest v Villa on Monday night. It was such a low quality. And my following on social media used to be just Villa fans, but now from delving in, into other football, I get a lot of other other fans from other teams as well. And I had a lot of tweets on Monday night telling me that Villa were the most boring team to watch in the country from other other Premier League fans. So yeah, it's not a great place for for Villa at the moment. And you know, Stephen Gerrard George got the job. Off the back of Dean Smith, who was who was winless in five, they'd lost five in a row. Villa and Christian Perslow cited con- this need for continuous improvement for being the reason that Dean Smith got the sack and they brought Stephen Gerrard in. But a year on, there is no continuous improvement at Aston Villa Football Club. Well, no, there's a regression, isn't there? Really, um, from from the first few weeks of Gerrard's reign, uh, and I think. You may know better than me, but the personal relationship between Perslow and Gerrard is probably a concern if you're a Villa fan, where you want to make sure that the decisions being made in terms of who is running the football side of things uh, is made with the interests of the club at heart rather than being looked at with a more you know, emotive response. You know, Steve, as a, as a West Brom fan, will know uh, that I think Steve Bruce's tenure at the club would have ended a lot sooner had he had not had a similar relationship with Ron Gourlay, the, the CEO there at the moment. So... It's difficult. I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record on this because I feel like I've said it every time I mention Steve Bruce, but it does just feel like there was a change of manager in the summer. It feels like Beal moving on and Critchley taking on the job has led to a change of, of mentality. Uh, Critchley at Blackpool was a very pragmatic manager. He isn't a manager you necessarily want to get the most out of flair players. Um, you know, I, I don't think he is. he's very adept at setting up a team to be incredibly efficient and... You know, he's a pragmatic manager, um, but when you've got the likes of Buendia, Coutinho, Ramsey, you know, you want someone who's going to encourage those players to play. Um, and, I, and I think maybe they lost someone in Beal because remember, you know, Gerard's Rangers team were, were absolutely not a stale team to watch. And when he first came in at Villa, that was the case as well. You know, it was exciting. Um, and all the talk I've heard about Steven Gerrard's role, unsurprisingly, is is that you know he's very much in control of, of the culture. He's a, he's a man-manager and not necessarily a tactician. So maybe Critchley was the wrong appointment, even though he's a he's a manager in the EFL that I thought a great deal of. But it's it does feel like something has, has massively changed. And whoever is calling the shots and setting up Villa as a team don't seem to be using their best 
uh, and most creative players in a way that is going to see them create chances consistently. It's worth saying that Villa weren't brilliant at the back end of last season when, when Bill was there in, in, in Critchley's defence. But Steve, the thing like, oh, I've got a problem with is the way we're talking is like Steve and Gerrard isn't in charge of Aston Villa and there's no other team in England or maybe even, well, maybe not the world's not true, but okay, there's certainly no other Premier League team that operates in that way where there's so much credence on the people below the manager. That just doesn't sit right with me at all that an assistant manager can change and it, and it makes such a difference. It's funny... Dan, how it was, Gerard, like, it was, it, this was a stepping stone to taking over Liverpool, wasn't it? It was heralded as, as the bright new thing and he was going to be a, a great manager. And I, and I was asking you, you, your opinions last season about it. And I was, as an outsider, he was kind of looking at it thinking, is he all that? And, you, and you've kind of seen it this season. It's got to be a, a massive concern for Villa. Although, saying that, the odds aren't, aren't too bad for Villa looking at it. We don't see them currently being it massively in a relegation scrap Dan because they are six to one to be relegated it's about 10th favorites you know they're, really? they're quite a short price to finish in the top half as well so there are, there are a lot of teams underneath them regardless of I this. can hear the listeners logging into about 365 as we as you say <laughs> that yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I, I can see you the listeners can't see your face Dan but I can see your face it's like absolutely incredible because I think Villa are sleepwalking into a relegation battle at the moment if they continue with, with Steven Gerrard, the way things are. Villa have got all these grand ambitions and, you know, this is the club who've talked it up of being this top eight team, pushing towards Europe, going on, going on cup runs and there was so much credence put on pre-season as, as well for Villa that Gerrard was getting this pre-season and he was going to get it right. But they're worse they're ambitious. than they were last season. They're, they're, their owners are very ambitious. You only have to look... Yeah. Where, where would they go, Dan? Where would, in your opinion, who, who, would, who would I make as favourite to be next manager of Aston Villa? Listen, Steven Gerrard's in a job and I don't like talking about managers getting the boot or anything like that, but just just out of interest. I honestly don't know. I, re- I really do. I speak to Villa fans all the time who, who and that you have some pie in the sky about Poch, you know, but, and then I'm thinking, who is there? Who is there to take over Aston Villa? Ma- Listen, joking aside, a massive club and would be very attractive to... A number of top managers, I would say. As a Villa fan at, at the moment, you know, think things aren't good. Under Steven Gerrard at the moment, I think Villa are far more likely to be in a relegation battle than they are to be finishing in, in the top half. You only have to watch them play. But I don't want to be disrespectful to Steven Gerrard. When he first came in, I thought he was absolutely brilliant, a real breath of fresh air, did some really clever things tactically and, and, and Villa looked a good outfit in his first five, six games. But in 2022, Villa have been desperate. It's, it's turgid. It's, it's really hard to watch. And, you know, the fans turned the other night in the yeah, away I end. And when, that, when the fans yeah. are turning and seeing that they want the manager out, it, it's very rare that a manager gets back. A team that did make the change was Chelsea. They've looked impressive under Potter in, in recent weeks, Steve. Back-to-back wins over AC Milan. They beat Palace and Wolves in two Premier League matches as well under Potter. He's the real deal, isn't he? Yeah, and we kind of expected it, didn't we? A smooth transition from a, a guy... Clearly going in the right direction. Plenty of scope. You know, we've seen previous managers at, at Chelsea before have better starts than, than Potter, Sarri, Ancelotti, uh, Gus Hiddink. But as a non-Chelsea supporter, I'm, I'm excited to see how Graham Potter can, can go in his managerial career. And he started brilliantly. Of course, the results against Milan have been, have been superb um, as well. Some great performances there. I would say that on the flip side of that, I think the fixtures have been quite kind to him I would also probably say that Chelsea's fixtures this season have also been quite kind I think they've only played Spurs at home and all the other fixtures have been against sides in 12th or lower so we're going to see what he's all about 
but I'm 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 delighted that Graham Potter started well because I think non you know fans of what of of, of Chelsea and probably not Brighton fans but are really cheering him on to see see how well he does. I think a lot of Premier League fans in general because. They'll want to see a young, exciting English manager go well at one of the big teams. We've lamented over the years that oh, English managers never get the chance at these big jobs. Graham Potter's got the chance at a club like Chelsea, and so far he's making the most of it. George, what's Chelsea's ceiling this season? Is there a chance they could be the best of the rest? Yeah, of course. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about Liverpool, um, where the season is still so young that you can't really rule anything out. And you know, Arsenal right now look to be comfortably the best of the rest um, and have a you know a head start on Chelsea in terms of, of who's going to finish second this season. Um, but you know, there's there's I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to continue that form over the course of the season. They might do, um, but with Chelsea, there's more of a precedent for them to be a top two, top three side in recent seasons. You know, they were. A, a big part of this squad were Champions League winners under 18 months ago. So Potter's come in. The great thing for me is that the, the players all look pretty happy. You know, that I think Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was the one where you're thinking, God, what's he going to think? Turning up to play for his old manager, Thomas Tuchel, who then um, gets fired immediately. But Aubameyang has, has, has played very well under Potter so far and has, we've seen a couple of brilliant finishes and he certainly didn't look um, too dismayed when celebrating at the San Siro on, on Tuesday night. So... Didn't land his celebration quite. No, he didn't. He but he looked happy though. I mean, he, he was smiling. Oh, he was very happy. Um, and yeah, and, and you know, the football looks good. Um, it is kind of the back to what we saw. Different formation, but you know, at Brighton we saw, you know, they play a very high line. They keep possession uh, amongst the defence and, and look for you know to, to get the more technically gifted players onto the board in the final third. Unlike Tuchel, where you saw Kovacic, Jorginho, Mount dropping very deep in order to collect. Um, I think that suits Chelsea very well, and we're seeing key players immediately having an uptick in form, which is no surprise. You know, any concerns about Potter not being able to manage the big egos immediately looked out the window. I think that having a good start means that he is now accepted as being worthy of the job and the players seem to be enjoying it. So yeah, all credit to him and I hope it continues. Yep, Chelsea trending in the right direction, Villa are not. Next up, we're going to look at Manchester United against Newcastle, which kicks off at the same time, Sunday, 2 o'clock. I mean, part of me wishes they'd put that game on the big screen because I do think that's going to be a, a fascinating one. Manchester United responded to their derby loss with a win over Everton. Resolute win, really good performance from Manchester United. And that's five wins from six, George, since being dismantled at Brentford. They deserve some credit, and we know you do not like giving Manchester United credit. That is unbelievably that's unfair. Me. That's me stirring. Oh, that that's me is stirring. unbelievably unfair. <laughs> Dan, I'll call a spade a spade. That's all it is. And and you know, under under their former manager, I didn't think they were very good. But we have to give them credit, of course. I mean, there are, I guess, some mitigating circumstances here um, where they are eking out wins in tight games. That is something to be applauded, not um, doubted. But similarly, then they aren't exerting the kind of dominance over teams that we see from from the likes of, of uh, well, I mean, Chelsea in recent weeks, but mainly Arsenal and, and City so far this season, apart from, of course, their 3-1 win over Arsenal, uh, which was big. Um, but they are, you know, they're finding a way to win. They're, they're definitely moving in the right direction. Uh, we're starting to see key players coming back into the fold. Anthony's obviously made a great start to life at Old Trafford. I think there's loads to be positive about, but, but similarly, I would urge caution and say, you know, five wins from six. And, the, the you know, the one that we're leaving out was a, a, a pretty humbling defeat to Manchester City. I don't think that kind of record is going to be maintained over the course of the season. This isn't a season where I think they can dream of, of even finishing in the top four personally. Um, it's just uh, the first building block in, in the Ten Hag era. Do you not think they've got a chance of top four by the way the season started? They've definitely got a chance. I, I, I don't think they'll finish in the top four. I think they're, they're still the outsider of the pack. 
Mm. Manchester United aiming for three successive Premier League wins at Old Trafford for the first time since last December, Steve. That was, of course, under a mixture of Michael Carrick and Ralph Rangnick. Home form will be imperative for Ten Hag, and to be fair to him, after that first that first Brighton game, you know, the home forms, we talk about getting these little things sorted, just getting the little things right, and then now I start heading in the right direction overall. Home form is one of them because Old Trafford did become an easy place for teams to go and you feel like, again, I don't want to use the same term that I've just used, but that's trending in the right direction. Yeah, the, the certainly no fear factor there. As you know, I was at the, the Arsenal game. I thought they were slightly fortunate to win that. They've had a long uh, stretch of away games now. So, of course, they've got a few games at home now. But what I liked about that away performance at Everton was that it was, it was just like a, a back-to-basics performance as well. I think... You know, that Manchester City performance away would have been still in the mind of uh, of the players. I think some big international players, because it was an international break prior to that, wasn't that? They just froze and I don't think they were ready for it. They were certainly ready for that that Everton game. So many positive defensively. I don't think they gave Everton many chances as well. The, the turnovers were, were up as well for that Everton game. Casemiro was, was decent as well. Good to see him start a game. But the player for me that makes Manchester United tick so much is Christian Eriksen. I think he's. Uh, I think he's been a great signing for them, playing in that in that kind of deep lying playmaker, Paul Scholes type of role. His 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 awareness, his passing, the ability with with both of his feet, and the way he switches play. Christian Eriksen will be Manchester United's Player of the Season this season, and there's a shout from me. I think he's uh, he's doing some great things there. They are thirteen to eight, six favourites to finish in the top four, but with Eriksen in that side, I certainly wouldn't write them off. I guess one of the big points as well was, you know, they went 1-0 down and in previous seasons they'd have gone under. They're going 1-0 down at a place like Goodison Park, but they've got themselves together, gone and won the game 2-1. A player in Casemiro bouncing back as well from an early mistake. Again, not too many Manchester United players have been capable of that in the last few years. And one player, another player that started life in the Premier League pretty well is Anthony George. Jadon Sancho, though, as a consequence, looks like he's going to be on the bench for the foreseeable. Yeah, it does. I'm still not convinced that... Manchester United uh, have worked out how you know how to play Jadon Sancho effectively. Um, I think he needs he's a player that needs runners around him. He's he's not. You know, I think it's a symbol of, of Manchester United's poor recruitment over a time. Uh, that it seemed to me they thought they were signing a different kind of player to what they got. I mean that was the case in so many occasions. You know the the Wan Bissaka um, deal sticks out um, particularly where they weren't signing players that they needed. They were signing just. You know the talented players that are making headlines, but Sancho is still a you know phenomenal talent. I'm sure he will get there. Tenag, I'm sure, will appreciate what he can do. But at this moment in time, Anthony's come in. Uh, he is very, very direct in a way that Sancho isn't. You know that they're, they're kind of the antithesis of each other. Sancho, a cute player, a very clever player who likes to play in between the lines and bring others into play, whilst also having an eye for goal himself. Anthony just looks to get on the board and basically attack the goal wherever possible, and, and will let fly from from range with a very good. Uh, shot on him as well but Jadon Sancho is not a myth you know you look at what he has done at the top level for, for Borussia Dortmund he is a very very good player and it would be um, a failure uh, of United to go out and get a player of his talent and, and not be able to find a way to to actually get him to uh, be a massive benefit to the club Who finishes top scorer do we think for Manchester United this season because I think it's a, it's a good market Anthony's currently the top scorer with, uh, with three Premier League goals uh, and Rashford's got three as well hasn't he so I mean, we've got the pair of them as as, as favourites, but with so many games, so much rotation, you've got the you've got Ronaldo in there as well. Bruno's started quite slowly in regards to goal. Martial's got a couple. You can't trust him with 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 injuries. And then there's Jaden Sancho at at ten. What price is Ronaldo? Fours. 
yeah, I think I back Ronaldo personally. I think I think he will end up being their main starting striker and he'll take penalties and you know he scored a lot of goals last season as well. Who do you think has the highest XG in the Manchester United team? Great question. Uh, definitely not Anthony. Um, probably Martial, given that he scored Christi- a couple of tap-ins. Ericsson. Ericsson. Wow. Ericsson. He's, fif- he's 50s here and uh, he hasn't scored yet, I don't think. so. Uh, Maybe you want to back, uh, back any time goal scorer for the next few weeks. Yeah. Yeah, the eye test. Getting in the positions but hasn't quite happened yet. I think, I think it'll be Anthony, purely because you know he's going to play every week because he's Ten Hag's guy. Steve, Newcastle, the opposition, are unbeaten in four, winning the last two away to Fulham and at home to Brentford. How serious should we be taking Newcastle? They've, they've picked up now and they've started putting the ball in the back of the net. They've got, got a sensational mid, midfield in, in Bruno, midfielder, sorry, in Bruno as well. Newcastle, chances of top six finish? Yeah, we think so. It's 7-1 to one for the top four, 11-4. to four. For the top six, one defeat all season. That was an injury time defeat at Anfield. They've drawn with Manchester City after being 3-1 up. They're probably kicking themselves, have thrown away that lead. It's a team that are absolutely working their socks off and the crowd up there are obviously feeding off that as well. I spoke to a lad at work yesterday who went to the game against Brentford. He said the atmosphere was amazing, that the city was bouncing and okay, you know, they're beating, they're beating Brentford, but the high intensity of it all. I'd be surprised if there are many teams, if one, one or two maybe, that outrun Newcastle in every game. Um, and of course, you've got Eddie Howe there as well. It's going great for them. I think we'll find out a lot more after their next three games, Manchester United away, Everton at home and Spurs before they play your boys, Dan. So I think from a, after nine or eight or nine games that Newcastle have played, it's a steady seven and a half, eight, eight, to eight out of ten for, for Eddie Howe so far. One player that's absolutely flying at the moment in form is Miguel Almiron. Always worked very, very hard, George. That, that's never been in doubt, but his end product perhaps has always been questioned. That's four goals in nine Premier League games now, which is equal to his previous best in the season. And probably, well, so far the goal of the season um, in, in the Premier League, at least, uh, the other weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a great player. He's one of those who his talent has never been in doubt. His ability to impact games sometimes has been. Um, but what's really impressed me with Newcastle is, is they've got pretty bad injuries at the moment and, and have done over the last few weeks yet it hasn't seemed to bother them uh, so having that strength and depth the likes of Almiron coming into the side and, and stepping up to the plate I thought Callum Wilson was has been superb in, in, in Isak's absence as well we anticipate they will add more players and, and flesh it out but um, some of those players I guess that maybe a year ago when the takeover went through we thought might be sidelined or, or moved on um, you know even you've got uh, Jacob Murphy playing a, a key role at the moment who I don't think anybody anticipated would, would be doing so that is testament to to Eddie Howe and his coaching staff that it's not just a case of okay we're going to go out and spend however many million pounds on, on, on key players we're also going to come in and take on players who maybe haven't shown themselves to be top 10 top 7 top 6 Premier League players so far and improve them and, and, and bring them with them yeah, Eddie Howe deserves a huge amount of respect. I think that's a real key point that you've made there, the likes of Jacob Murphy. If Newcastle have got injuries and they bring someone like Murphy in, it doesn't really affect them. And I think that says an awful lot about Eddie Howe. One, he's man management. I think he's managed the squad very well at Newcastle. But two, he's a lot better tactically than, than I thought he was when, when he got that Newcastle job. I've been really impressed with everything he's done at Newcastle so far. So well done to Eddie Howe. Either of you going to go for a shock in this one? Well, it wouldn't be a massive shock, but you know, in a, in, in a way, win on Newcastle to pick up a point. I think Newcastle gets something out of it, personally. Yeah. 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 yeah I can see I can see a draw with this one.
This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. This is the weekend preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. The final game that we're going to look at in detail is Tottenham v Everton, which is the Saturday tea time kickoff. George, there's a lot of talk over Tottenham's style right now, but actually only Manchester City, who scored 33 goals, and Arsenal, who scored 23, have scored more than their 20 so far this season. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, it, I, th- I think Tottenham's start to the season is bizarre, where you've got a team who uh, are sitting in third place. All Tottenham fans are very happy with um, with the points tally, uh, the amount of goals they've scored as well. Yet, for some weird reason, it just doesn't really feel like it's clicked yet. And, and that is either a, a big warning sign to the rest of the league that maybe Tottenham are going through their poorest spell of the season now and picking up loads of points. Or, or maybe we're going to see a regression when they're not quite so clinical in front of goal. Um, it's not a massive surprise when you've got the firepower they've got up front. They've scored so many goals, although, I, of course, the six goals they scored against Leicester do kind of stat pad a, a little bit. They're not a team who creates hatfuls of chances under Antonio Conte. They, you know, as we know, it is a kind of defence first mindset, although the players they do have on the break are, are very good at doing so. But we never really see Tottenham at the moment controlling games in, in the opposition's half, regardless of who they're playing. Yep, Steve, I've been looking forward to this next section all podcast. Harry Kane at the moment is the closest to Erling Haaland in the race for the Golden Boot. I mean, I use the term race very, very loosely. Only seven behind at the moment. What's the chance of him finishing behind Erling Haaland? Yeah, we have a market, which I'll, I'll uh, doff my cap to George for, for mentioning this last week. So we've we've got that on site, the top goal scorer market without Erling Haaland. George, the usual fee for you for... Uh, for mentioning that. And uh, Harry Kane is actually uh, our favourite, pretty short as well at even money. I think we've stopped talking about Harry Kane, haven't we? I think he scored in all but two of Spurs Premier League games this season and scored for England as well as in some Champions League games as well. So he is, well, I suppose he's not the only striker we haven't stopped talking about, but he is quite a warm favourite. And I was just going to ask you two for your your thoughts on the market and who you would go for in the market without Erling Haaland. Well, Steve, you know I'm, a, I'm an each-way thief when it comes to this stuff. You um, are a thief. You've seen those three places and, you're, uh, yeah. Yeah, and an even but, money Harry Kane and you're looking elsewhere. Yeah, I, know about the group, I know about the group chat. Don't worry about that, pal. <laughs> yeah, there's one that I really like and I, I know Dan loves it when I put forward 100 to 1 shots on this pod as if I think they're even money shots. Uh, but I, yeah, I'd be backing uh, Aubameyang each way 100 to 1. Uh, I know he's only on one. He's but, 50s now, by the way. Are you aware no, he's gone 50s? No, is he? 
<laughs> right, the, right, the second, George. Oh no! Um, no, go, go on, carry it's, on. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's 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 only scored one goal so far this season, and you know he's got a long way to, to catch up to, to win this. But if you're playing for a place, um, you know he's only one goal behind Salah, and Salah's twelve to one. Uh, Oba's you know hundred to one. He's going to start every game up front. He's Chelsea's main goal threat. They are moving in the right direction. We've seen him score another great goal in midweek. Yeah, I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if Aubameyang doesn't get at least mid-teens in terms of goals this season if he stays fit and that could easily be enough for a place. Follow that, Bardell. Go on. I'd be, tem- <laughs> I'd be tempted by Son. Okay. On each way. The pony chance. 25s. I'd probably say Son. I think unbelievable finisher. Feel like he's kind of getting back in the back in the groove after a tough start to, to the season now and I think people might sleep on Son a little I'll bit. Take, I'll, I'll, I'll take 4-2 right on the match bet there. Uh, no, stay away. <laughs> stay, stay away. I'll, I'll stay away from that one. Let's look at Everton now. Then they're in 12th, four points off the bottom three, but level on points with Liverpool in 10th. Steve, have they got any chance of a top half finish this, this season? Well, it's it's still a big price for that to for that to happen, Dan. That like I said to you before, they're a bigger price than Villa. Three to one for that. They're only four to one to be relegated, Everton. Personally, I'm not that convinced about them this season. I know everyone was getting a bit carried away about their defensively, how good they are. I think you've got Jordan Pickford to thank for that. If you're yeah. if you're Frank Lampard, they've won the XG battle once this season, I think, and that was against Nottingham Forest. I've been guilty of getting carried away by that new Everton midfield as well. Um, Anana's a good player. Hold yeah, yeah. They, they won the window, Steve. So. Oh, of course, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm no, no, uh, <laughs> talking of Anana. He's 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 uh, he's XG. He's he's got an XG of one. I don't think he's had a shot on target yet uh, this season. So he's had uh, he's had a few chances, and I think scoring goals has been a worry for them. But, I mean, Anthony Gordon's their top goal scorer. Yeah, I don't think he's scored since the end of August. So the jury's still out for me. They're a funny team to judge, aren't they, George? I actually think Frank Lampard's done a good job. Everton. I know he was following Rafa, in which case the fans were going to love anyone that followed Rafa, Rafa Benitez. But I actually do think he has done a good job at Everton. He kept them up, which was obviously the remit when he came in. You know, they lost their best player. He's solidified them defensively. I know that they're obviously letting a couple against Manchester United, but they've been good defensively. They've got some likeable players, especially at the back in Tarkovsky and Cody, an exciting midfielder in Anana. They've held on to Anthony Gordon. If Calvert-Lewin suddenly gets fit and does what, what we know he can do, I wouldn't be dead certain Everton would be a bottom half team. I wouldn't be certain. Uh, I think it'll be hard for them to bridge that gap from where they were last season. Although, as I say, I do like a lot of their business. Um, with Lampard, it always surprises me. And I have to kind of check myself as well when talking about managers that we talk about players improving. Uh, we never really talk about managers improving. It's almost as if we think the first iteration of a manager is is what they are going to be throughout. And, and I find the narrative around Arsenal and Arteta a bit weird where people seem to talk about how you know Arteta needed to get Arsenal to where he wanted them to be. I think Arteta, the manager now, is a completely different manager to Arteta two years ago. And I think the same can be said of Lampard. I think Lampard is learning. I think Lampard is, is getting better. He's getting more pragmatic. He's understanding to you know set his team up as to the players that he has rather than having a vision of how he wants to play regardless and setting teams up for that. And that's got to be a positive. And if Lampard is improving now, there's no reason why he can't continue to improve whilst at Everton. So... Yeah, I think Lampard's doing a good job. I've, I've been pretty critical of him in the past, certainly at Chelsea and then early on in, in his Everton reign. But he, he does seem to be getting to grips with management quickly now and, and the squad that they are building, whether we can credit Lampard with the good, good window they had or not, I, I don't know. But yeah, the club do seem to be moving in the right direction. And it's great that, you know, for, for Lampard, he's at a club where he's he's very wanted. He's very, very popular with the fan base. 
which is uh, a good platform for a young manager who's had a couple of knocks in his in his early career uh, to be in. It's a good environment. So those are our matches to keep an eye on this weekend. Looking elsewhere, the Premier League weekend gets underway on Friday night. Don't forget to do your fantasy football team as Brentford welcome Brighton and Hove Albion. That's an eight o'clock kickoff. On Saturday, Leicester welcome Crystal Palace in the early kickoff before Wolves v Forest and Fulham v Bournemouth at 3pm. Tottenham v Everton, of course, as we've said, is the 5.30 on Saturday offering. And as for Sunday, Southampton hosts West Ham at two o'clock. And we've also got some of the games at two o'clock. It's Manchester United v Newcastle. Arsenal's visit to Leeds and Villa Chelsea with Liverpool v Man City, the final game of a scintillating Sunday at 4.30pm. But before we go, it's time for the six-score challenge. Steve, it's over to you. Yeah, 126 entries were had five out of six um, correct last, last wow. week. So, yeah, and we paid out £415,000 in consolations. That's with people getting three, four and five right out of the six as well. So... I have the six games for this week, guys. So I'm going to ask you, we'll do two each, shall we? Georgie, I'll start, I'll start with you, pal. Uh, Fulham versus Bournemouth. Ooh. Will Mitro play? That's the question. Um, Go Bournemouth, I, George. I think, Bournemouth for that one. No, I, I think the Bournemouth bubble is going to burst at some point. I'm, uh, I'm going to go 1-0 Fulham. Okay, and Tottenham versus Everton? Um, Tottenham to win... Marge, again, yeah, I'm going to go another 1-0. A couple of 1-0s to, to kick off. Aston Villa versus Chelsea, Dan. <laughs> I thought I'd throw good. this on you, Bell. <laughs> uh, 3-0 Chelsea. And Leeds versus Arsenal. 4-1 four, four, Arsenal. Wow. Okay. Opposite of George. I'm a more flamboyant predictor. Well, you're a more flamboyant person, aren't That's you? That's what I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that leaves me with Manchester United, Newcastle. I will go for one all in that one. And Liverpool versus Manchester City. I will go for Liverpool 1, Manchester City 2. That concludes the Six Scores Challenge. Excellent. And let's hope I remember to put that on for us, Steve. Otherwise, if we, if we get six for yeah, six... Yeah, the million pound. Yeah, I'll, yeah, get, I'll be yeah. very upset. Very upset. I'll, I'll be appearing around your house with one of those big floppy checks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I have to post-date it. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely love it. Obviously, I'd love a million pounds. That would be absolutely fantastic. <laughs> what a weekend that would be. That's it from us here at the Weekend Preview. Mark Chapman is, of course, back on Monday with reaction to all of the weekend's big stories and more. Enjoy all the football and thank you very much for listening. The Athletic.